the Recovery Executive Podcast with your host, Nick Jaworski. We bring you the business of recovery because those struggling with addiction need you to be here tomorrow as well as today. Welcome to the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm Nick Jaworski, your host and owner of Circle Social Inc. Today we have Alexander Ranzino. He has a very unique program down in Florida. Uh, He's a CEO over at Coalition Recovery, and they have a very special program that's focused on um, academics and university higher education aftercare. I was there a couple months ago and was very impressed by the program and what he's trying to do. So super excited to have him come on and share that with you. Um, Before we jump in, I just want to, as always, shout out to our sponsor, Verify TX. The Recovery Executive Podcast is brought to you by Verify TX. They are the leading on-demand insurance verification platform for the recovery industry. When seconds can make the difference between admitting a qualified client or losing them to a change of heart, a competitor, or worse, Verify TX gives your team the tools they need to save a life. They are available 24-7, 365 from any device. They integrate with Salesforce now, and I've always been very impressed with what they do. Um, they have helped out our clients tremendously. I know they help out uh, hundreds of clients across the country. So if you want to learn more about them, just go to VerifyTX.com. There's a 15-minute demo on the website. And if you give them a call, which I recommend that you do, just mention the Recovery Executive Podcast for a special offer. So Alexander's we talking about his Renaissance program and what happens in it and how uh, aftercare is beneficial, particularly from obviously the clinical aspect in terms of outcomes for patients and clients. And we'll talk a little bit about the finances, but I think something that I want to point out and that I know Alexander would definitely point out is that the key and the focus here needs to be the clinical outcomes, right? There is obviously a financial component to everything in terms of us having to make sure that our businesses are sustainable so that we can continue to help more people. But our primary goal should always be how do we help more people and how do we help them better? And then once we know that, then we figure out the finances after the fact um, to make sure that it's all working and sustainable. So I just wanted to mention that before we kind of jump in here, but very excited to have him on. It's a very good program. Um, I highly recommend that you actually reach out to Alexander. He's very happy to share what they're doing. Um, And also connected to my own experience at university in a way that was unique for me. So you'll hear a little bit more about my story. With that, let's listen to what Alexander has to say. Thanks for coming on the show here, Alexander. I really appreciate it. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your program? Sure thing. Uh, my name is Alexander Ronzino. I'm the chief executive of Coalition Recovery, a substance abuse treatment center um, providing outpatient detox, CHP, and IOP um, in Tampa, Florida. And I came and visited your program a couple months ago here. I was really impressed with what you guys are doing around aftercare. You have something you call the Renaissance Program. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that is? Sure thing. So the, the Renaissance Program is Coalition's vision of kind of innovating aftercare uh, to, to really provide more substantive resources and and really ongoing support to people leaving treatment. And when we do that through um, primarily higher education as that catalyst for long-term recovery. That's amazing. I mean, you know, I think people have heard me on this show say before that aftercare is probably one of the places that a lot of centers are lacking. 
not just from a business standpoint, but more importantly, from the clinical standpoint and the outcomes that come with that extensive care. But what you're also talking about is, it's, hey, it's not just aftercare, right? It's actually that life skill set, whether it's academic or employment, you guys are focusing on the academic end more. But when people find that purpose and meaning, um, they find that value and they find things that they're good at, they're much more likely to be successful in their recovery. So can you tell us a little bit about how that's integrating and what you're seeing, especially in terms of maybe outcomes? Absolutely. And, and I, I think you, you really said it well in that when, when you're able to connect somebody um, going through treatment to more substantive resources after they leave, and in, that can, that's a really multifaceted approach because it's, it's not a, a one-size-fits-all solution, right? So if somebody might be um, more equipped to uh, go to get their four-year university degree, uh, somebody might be completing their GED. Um, we also do vocational routes um, and community college, and uh, we've worked with graduate programs as well. But the, the whole philosophy is that by, you know, increasing the number of opportunities that somebody has, by changing the community with which they're involved and connecting them to kind of like-minded individuals that will help continue them on this path, I think one of the, the really positive things about going through uh, treatment in an intimate setting is that you definitely get much closer to the community, but um, kind of one of the pitfalls of, you know, okay, now you're, you're, you've completed your program and, and you're, you're back into the world. And, you know, there might not be that, that sober support network. Um, and um, really by connecting individuals, depending on which university or program somebody is going into uh, once they leave our, our center, is we actually have helped uh, establish uh, student-run advocacy groups on campus. Uh, we work with collegiate recovery communities. And what that helps do is facilitates the transition, essentially, in terms of just like-minded individuals for somebody to, to meet, right? So when you are embarking on, on what will be another huge chapter of your life to, to look towards higher education, uh, you're going to be doing that with other people that are, that are sober and they're in recovery and they have the same aspirations as you. And I think that's a, a huge piece that, that really adds to what the Renaissance program does. So one of the things I really liked about what you guys are doing is exactly what you're talking about there. So you're not just helping people get into higher education or take that kind of next step in their life or their career, but you're saying, hey, you know, within the university setting, it's sometimes hard to find these sober communities. And, you know, I mean, obviously, I think back to my university days, and that's where my heaviest drinking was done, right, as it is for a lot of people in the U.S. So you need those support systems, and you guys are going and facilitating that. Um, how does that connect to the program? Or maybe can you clarify a little bit about, you know, is that is that something that people are paying for? Or is that something that you guys are just going out and building because you're passionate about it? You know, where does that sober living component in the universities come in? Sure. So one of the one of the reasons that I really got into this space in the first place was um, was, was really it started as advocacy, honestly, at my alma mater at Florida State. Um, where I realized there was a fundamental disconnect between 
uh, people that were leaving the university for substance use related issues and uh, what follow-up the university itself was doing in terms of, okay, maybe they would make a treatment center referral, which was fairly rare. Um, it was typically just a, a, a penalty action, right? Like, okay, you, you were caught doing this, and so you're expelled from the university. Um, but there was no really ongoing case management there, and you know, I witnessed, you know, a, a lot of people, they would leave, and they, they would really never get reintegrated back into school. Um, and and that was kind of a catalyst for me to start some of this advocacy work. So um, that ended up blossoming into really my inspiration to learn more about treatment. And, um, you know, through the years, uh, you know, and, and in an extended period of, I guess you could say, research and, and, and learning about uh, the, the addiction treatment industry in the United States, uh, that, that really is how coalition came to be. So um, the Renaissance program specifically is completely free. Um, they, we, we don't charge for it um, really in, in any way. Um, and uh, it, it's in order to be involved with it, it's not conditional that you need to be in our program. Um, we've helped, you know, just, you know, we, the whole idea is to really just help people um, get the connections they need. So. The, the way it works in, in terms of actual practice is, you know, we have partnerships that we've developed with, you know, admissions and at various universities and community colleges and programs. And, um, you know, when you're actually going through treatment in terms of case management, that process begins really day one on like, okay, let's start figuring out what steps we need to, to take into consideration. Um, financial aid, what do, what do we need to look at? And as you said, um, you know, recovery residences and sober living um, on campus. And so really what that's looked like so far is uh, us just reaching out and making good partnerships in the community and, uh, you know, finding reputable places for, for people to go. And we've helped people really, um, you know, across, across the United States. So, um, you know, it, it's not really something that's, that's limited to, to Florida. So can we talk about, that's interesting that you mentioned that punitive action. So um, I obviously going back to my own university experience, I actually was in that situation, right? I had been drinking quite a bit and somehow something had gotten up to someone. I got called into the dean's office, yeah, but they didn't tell me why, right? I just went and they're like, hey, you know, we need you to come down to the dean's office on Thursday or something like that. I said, okay, I figured I just had to fill out some paperwork and went to a party night before, uh, you know, stayed out pretty late. And so I still was, you know, pretty out of it when I went to the dean's office and then they're like well you know you're here because you've got this issue with drinking and you know if you want to continue at this university you have to go into treatment right there wasn't any conversation around like what's going on or how can we help or even recommendations to quality programs it was just like hey here's the situation this is really if you want to stay here you have to do this it's just checking a box so that sounds like maybe what you found as something that needed to change. Talk a little bit about your conversations with, you know, university administrators or how your program is integrating, maybe changing um, those kinds of inter interactions. Absolutely. And, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons for why, um, you know, a, a major university might uh, really only be able to check that box, as you said. And, and that's something that I've learned as I've, you know, gone to 
large universities and smaller institutions. And, and really what you'll find is, you know, there are universities right now that are really leading the way and they have robust service offerings, counseling centers, and they're prioritizing this. And they're, you know, they're aware of the epidemic that's going on in our country. But for the most part, um, you know, funding issues and, and really just, I think, a fundamental lack of understanding and it being stigmatized um, to this day has, has made a university environment that is not um, conducive to successful recovery and, and really giving students the, the best opportunity to succeed and, and, and get readmitted. So the, the reaction that I've gotten has been really universally positive as I approach universities because, you know, what we're trying to do is, is try to make a more recovery-friendly uh, experience for students at every university. And they're receptive to that. Um, you know, they might not have the, the funding demands to support extended case management. And, you know, being really a, a partnership to uh, the various schools that we work with, um, it, it has become overwhelmingly evident to them that this is, is something that's needed, um, but maybe not practical for them. So I think we're helping to really fill a gap there. Um, and uh, that, that's really the most rewarding part of the advocacy is, you know, when we when we see every single day I meet with, um, you know, counselors and case managers at the university that they want to do more. Uh, and I, I meet with the, the, the dean of students and, you know, they, they want to see more successful outcomes for, for the people that they're penalizing, but they, they might not just, they, more often than not, they just don't know how or what that looks like or what those steps are. So providing you know, education is, a, is an important piece to what we're doing. On that note, can you talk about some of the success stories you've had and any relevant metrics that you guys are tracking currently? Absolutely. So, um, you know, just in, in terms of just standard aftercare, um, you know, you're, you're tracking, you know, the, the kind of one or zero of sober or not sober, right? So, like, everybody's, everybody's trying to find out how everybody's doing. But really, you know, the, the metrics that I think are most important are, are really how is somebody doing in their life? Are, are you thriving in your life? Are you, are you, are you happy, right? Um, and, and even if somebody's not going the route of, of the Renaissance program, we still need to work on, on just linking local clinical care, you know, providing sober resources, job preparation, um, some of the kind of the standardized case management things that you might take care of in the short term. We just try to try to extend those out. So, so we're really there to help in the long term. Uh, and in terms of success, it's been a extremely rewarding process to just see, you know, individuals that just they, you know, they, they, they're really able to, to change their lives. We've, we've, uh, we've had clients that have gotten their AA degrees. We've worked with graduate level uh, students uh, getting medically withdrawn from school and uh, coming to treatment and then, you know, getting facilitating that readmissions process. And, you know, that is really a case that we've seen more often than not, and it's, it's one that's very important to highlight because, you know, 
knowing how to do a proper medical withdrawal, you know, can save people just thousands of dollars in terms of, you know, their financial aid and financial responsibility to the university. Obviously, we know financial burden can be one of the biggest stressors in life in general. Um, so really making that a seamless process to, to get medically withdrawn, to come to treatment, and then get back into school and get back on that path um, with, uh, with, uh, with the right tools it has really been what we've seen to be the most, the most successful outcomes in, in terms of, you know, plain metrics. Um, you know, we've seen vastly more success in people that are engaged and dedicated to, uh, you know, the Renaissance program and their long-term recovery than, you know, somebody that is, is not really engaging in those resources. Um, and, um, and, and so, you know, that's why we believe really that, that this form of aftercare can really help improve overall the outcome statistics that, that we see across the board. And, you know, one treatment center is not going to, to change this. And, you know, one institution changing their policies for students or it'll be really a combined action of treatment centers and, um, you know, universities and employers on the way that they treat their employees with substance use related issues. Uh, it'll take all of us working together to understand that aftercare is not something that can be monetized, but it's something that's so important because if, if we are able to improve outcome statistics to a point that, you know, people come to treatment and it's successful. So the, the, the whole idea of a non-monetized aftercare is, is really that, you know, you're investing in, in the long-term success of your, of your patients. And, and through doing that, I think, you know, we will demonstrate higher outcome statistics. And I think people will come to us, you know, solely based off of, of the experience that they're getting here and the, and the care that they're receiving. Um, and, and that needs to be an investment that I think more treatment centers need to be making. A, a lot of them are doing, you know, really great things right now and uh, making strides in this direction in some form or another. But there, you know, there are still the treatment centers that are that are lacking and that that don't have these offerings. And they they need to understand that by by truly caring about the clinical outcomes, you know your census will get higher. You know, people will come to you because you provide better care and because you care. Um, so I have a question for you on that because, you know, when I talk to owners and directors, that's often uh, one of the questions. They say, well, yeah, you know, we believe strongly in aftercare or an alumni program, but we don't have a way to pay for it or get it paid for, you know. On your end, you know, how do you support the aftercare work that you're doing? Are you just pulling funds from other aspects of the business? Is there a nonprofit that you have set up for that? You know, how, how does that get taken care of if other people want to, you know, do something um, similar in terms of stronger aftercare support? So, I mean, the, 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 the real, you know, kind of 30,000 foot overview of that answer is that you know, this is a long-term investment in clinical care. Um, you, you know, it's not something that that is going to, to um, I guess, if you're looking in that sense, it's not going to pay for itself. 
uh, in the in the short term. It, it will take years of truly investing in improving the clinical program to a level where people are attracted to it solely because of the outcome statistics, right? But if in five years, right, you're able to you know, double your census, then then that's really you know where the where it starts to make sense, right? Um, and that's I think that's kind of like a fundamental principle of our economy that I think for some reason kind of got lost in the addiction treatment space is people were so focused on on short term gains and um, you know they they kind of lost sight of uh, maybe the kind of the spirit of what we're doing right so um, so you know kind of going back to the beginning you know you got into this space because you saw gaps in the treatment um, in the way that things were being done right and the aftercare particularly support around academics was one of them but just kind of curious you know are there other areas that you think are open to uh, new ways of doing things that either maybe you're thinking about or that you think some other people could think about while you focus on this aspect sure i mean you know the the, the fundamentals of you know, at least what you see and what makes a good treatment center, right? So, you know, you have to offer multiple levels of care, so there's no, you know, breaks in the continuity of treatment, um, you know, low, you know, low, um, low clinical staff to client ratios, you know, once you, once you really get over a six to one, um, therapist to client ratio, I think you really start losing some of the individualized attention, um, you know, qualified facilitators, running groups, um, really just qualified staff in general. And these are, you know, these are not, you know, crazy things. And a lot of treatment centers, I think, do it. But, um, you know, some may fall short in, in those kind of fundamental building blocks of, of, of providing quality care. Um, in terms of other areas um, that I think will be pivotal in terms of just overall outcome statistics, you know, our focus really has been aftercare. You know, the length of treatment is, you know, what, 90 days, 120 days, depending on the program. But aftercare is, it's the rest of your life. So so asking the, the what happens next question um, and, and trying to provide more substantive resources for at least, you know, four or five years post-treatment, I think is something that will, you know, make the difference in in long-term care. That makes sense. I think there's a lot of value in it. You know, a lot of programs have kind of relied on the, the free meeting groups, whether it's AA, NA, or something else, you know, to provide that aftercare support. But there's not the standardization in quality, right? AA groups vary as widely as the people in them and running them. So, there's a lot of value, I think, to having um, a licensed clinical program, you know, that's overseeing that standardization and making sure that there's continuity of care and that there are professionals, you know, supporting as well. Um, you know, all these support groups are very beneficial for what they do, but there can certainly be, you know, value adds from the treatment center end, I think. Absolutely. And, and I think AA and NA can play a, a very pivotal part in the process, but um, you know, I think a more robust service offering uh, 
can only help. It can only be a positive thing. Right. So before we wrap up here, are there any other final thoughts or anything that you wanted to bring to our listeners' attention that you maybe didn't get to? Really, you know, this is the Recovery Executive Podcast. And and like I said, our, our, our Renaissance program is completely free and um, and open. And, you know, as you asked me the, the question of what can other centers do, um, I, I'm really an open book when it comes to this. It's something that I'm you know, overwhelmingly passionate about. I, I truly believe that, uh, you know, if we can innovate aftercare together as an industry, uh, we can really start to see some true healing happen in the United States. So um, nothing about our program is, you know, proprietary information. I'm, I'm more than welcome to share, uh, you know, really how that process works in detail. Uh, I would love um, to, to help uh, advocate across many treatment centers and, and, and really start more of a movement um, towards that direction. Um, and uh, if, uh, if, if you ever want to reach out um, to Coalition Recovery um, or you're um, somebody that is interested in the Renaissance program, our number is 888-707-2873. Fantastic. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad to have you on the show because I, I believe the same way that you do that aftercare is one of the primary ways that we are going to start improving, you know, treatment outcomes and moving the needle more, whether that's academics or employment or life skills. So I appreciate your time and coming on the show. And for all our listeners out there, as always, thank you much for tuning in. This is the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, owner of Circle Social Inc. And you can download this podcast anywhere where podcasts are found. Thank you so much and see you next time. Time.